welcome back to the Deeper Cut podcast, an official podcast of Mercy Hill Presbyterian Church. Now, yeah, not not no longer just on Realm, but available worldwide through Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Exciting, right, Phil? Um, I, I'm just so happy. I'm <laughs> You can't contain yourself. I'm fidgeting in my chair. <laughs> but in all seriousness, uh, it's good to be back here with you, Phil, in your study for another episode. I think this is episode five. Um, and the tenth sermon in our series on the Psalms. And um, maybe, oh, maybe the eleventh. I don't, I don't know. Oh, maybe I miscounted. Uh, now you've given me homework to go back okay. and, and check. Um, e- either way, uh, you preached yesterday at Mercy Hill on Psalm 37. So that is our topic of discussion for today. And for those of you who might be new to our podcast, um, kind of our our goal here in this ministry is to take a, a closer look, a, a more... Um, the word I'm looking for, a deeper look, an in-depth look at the content or even kind of application or tangential thoughts um, that came from the the sermon that was most recently preached and maybe in the future we can pull up some old sermons or something Mm -hmm. and and do some stuff like that. Sure. Um, But, um, you know, we have Psalm 37 before us, which uh, I'll be honest, has a whole lot of meat left on that bone, I think, Phil, you would agree. 40 verses and um, probably only scratched the surface, for being honest. But this is the, as I mentioned, part of the series of uh, Psalms of My Life, as you've, as you've called it, Phil. And I thought maybe we could start today by um, giving you a chance to tell us how Psalm 37 made the cut. You know, why Psalm 37? Mm -hmm. It's not a a particularly well-known psalm. It's not one that um, I think the average church member would go, ooh, yeah, I've memorized Psalm 37, Mm -hmm. all 40 verses. Mm -hmm. So what was it that drew your attention to Psalm 37? Why did it get included in our sermon series? It's a great question, Tim. Two or three reasons. One is that Psalm 37 verse 11 is the the source for one of Jesus' beatitude, the third beatitude. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And he's actually quoting Psalm 37 in his Sermon on the Mount. Mm -hmm. And um, nothing from a biblical standpoint, very few things make me as happy or as grateful or content to know that the New Testament gospel is really just a re-articulation of the Old Testament gospel by a new person. Of course, the person makes all the difference, Jesus Christ, the incarnate Son of God. But uh, there's a widespread misunderstanding that the Beatitudes, the so-called charter of the kingdom of God, give a new ethic Nothing could be further from the truth. Hmm. So um, there are certainly new emphases to be found in the Sermon on the Mount and in the Beatitudes. But there isn't a single Beatitude that isn't either echoed or, in this case, quoted in the Old Testament already. Um, Difference being, in verse 11 of Psalm 37, we don't have the word blessed or the meek they shall inherit the earth. We just simply have it as a statement of fact. But it's stated in such a way that the blessing is self-evident. If you look at the verse, it actually says blessed, or it says Psalm 37 verse 11, the meek shall inherit the land or earth, it's the same word, and delight themselves in abundant peace. Now that's a picture of the good life which is what Jesus is trying to do in the, in the Beatitudes. So that's the first reason. I have a personal passion for the Beatitudes. Uh, the Beatitudes are God's... Um, it's an invitation by Jesus, the Son of God, of the best way to live in a fallen world. And um, I think we 
I certainly need the wisdom of the Beatitudes in my life and am uh, of all the Beatitudes, that third Beatitude, the meek, is one that's personally um, important to me. <coughs> Excuse me, I'm recovering from a cough. but So that's the main reason, maybe the first reason I picked Psalm 37. It's been on my mind for a number of years and just thinking about the connection between the Sermon on the Mount and Psalm 37. Hmm. The, the other reason is, in my uh, reading through the scriptures, and for many years I would read through the scriptures using Robert Murray McShane's uh, Bible reading plan. I started out this year doing that and, and have stopped. Um, so I know a lot of people struggle with that, as I do, to, to maintain reading through the Bible all year. Um, but So whenever I hit Psalm 37... By the way, in terms of reading through the Bible, a brother in, in our congregation came up to me afterwards and uh, admitted to me that he also wanted to read through the Bible this year, struggled, and all he can manage to do is to continually read through the Psalms. And I told him, actually, that's a really good accomplishment mm -hmm. because the Psalms do, uh, Luther called them a little Bible, they, they do truly encapsulate kind of the best of the theology of the entire Bible. So, um, but every time I, uh, when I read through the Psalms, every time I get to Psalm 37, I find myself, after about verse 11, losing focus and getting a little confused and feeling a little distracted or disoriented. And if I'm honest, kind of wishing that David had ended it at verse 11 you know, where, where I, that, that to me was the meat of it, and isn't the rest of it just a bunch of distracting verses unnecessary? I'm exaggerating a little bit, but how to make sense of all 40 verses? Why did the Holy Spirit, in his wisdom, see fit to collect all of these sort of proverbs on faithful waiting, which is the title of my sermon? Why are they all collected in one place? And um, with the title, I attempted to give my answer to that question, that in a kind of a multi-spectrum, multi-colored way, each verse points to the need for the elect, God's chosen people, to live well in the midst of difficulty and to keep their eye on the prize, which is not easy to do. So um, I get us finally... That is where I find myself spiritually at the moment, easily distracted, and even just to take my resolution to read through the Bible, I'm finding that I'm making resolutions and finding it more and more difficult to keep them. Hmm. And in some people's eyes, I'm an old man. That shouldn't be the case. Like, shouldn't this thing be getting easier as I go along? But I'm finding it's getting harder. So um, I have some thoughts on why that might be, but. Uh, I felt that Psalm 37 was the medicine that I needed this week. Hmm. Yeah, that we all that we all needed. You know, by God's providence, He led you to Psalm 37 this week. Amen. So, um, thanks for sharing that. You pointed out, um, you know, and the main reason it sounds like that that Psalm 37 was included in our series is because of the Beatitudes, because of Jesus quoting it in His sermon, arguably right. the epitome of sermons. Correct. Probably not arguably; it is the epitome yeah, of is, all sermons. It is the best sermon um, ever preached and ever to be preached. So, um, but in interestingly enough, if I recall, having listened to your sermon twice in the past. 24 hours or 48 hours you are a glutton for punishment um, <coughs> you did not I don't think you made that reference to the Beatitudes no, directly no I didn't um, you know what to include in a message when there's 40 verses to get your arms around um, it's um, the sermon is not a classroom if it were a classroom, I would definitely not have left it out. Mm -hmm. Even this is a conversation where we can talk 
obviously we take many tangents and <laughs> turn off the main path and manage to find our way back and and that's what makes a classroom conversation interesting uh, but in a sermon there's an economy and a focus that is really really uh, crucial and it's it's an elusive goal of mine it's something I aspire to always get better at preaching but it, it requires um, particularly somebody like me who can talk for a long time if I don't have any other constraints. That's actually the reason for the podcast, Tim, is just it's a ch another chance for me to get in when I couldn't fit in on Sunday. So, oh, oh. See, I, didn't, I didn't pick up on that. No. So the reason I didn't mention it on Sunday is because I knew I could mention it today. <laughs> um, I'm not sure, you know, the average mom or dad in the church or a teenager is, is particularly gripped by the fact that Jesus is quoting Psalm 3711. Hmm. Um, it's a little bit of an academic point and might have distracted from the urgent message that I think we needed to hear, which is we need to get better at waiting on the Lord in a world that doesn't make that easy at all. So how, so how does the meekness, how does meekness kind of enable us, or wh why is that a requirement or a goal or insert word here? The psalm tells us, you know, that um, the meek shall inherit the land, and Jesus repeats that almost yes. verbatim. Yes, he does. And that's obviously, um, you know, we're not going to go through your entire outline or manuscript for, no. for your sermon, you could go listen to that on the other podcast channel, um, and I'd encourage you to do that, listeners, but, you know, what is it about meekness, I guess in particular, that enables us to faithfully wait, you know, to go in, in terms of the, the title and the main thrust of your sermon, because um, it seems to me like we might get confused, and I was kind of confessing this to you before we hit the, the start button this morning, Phil, that, you know, your sermon particularly spoke to me in the point that you made about patient or faithfully waiting is active. Right. And it's not just sitting there doing nothing. And then I think of meekness, and I think of, um, I think you've, you've used it, the the phrase previously, like quiet strength or something like that. Yes. So just kind of standing there. Restrained strength. Yeah. yeah. And so that, that to me would lend to the, at least the image of someone not really doing anything, just kind of not being resolved to not get pushed over in a way. Right. So that seems a little contradictory at first glance as to how that would help you to be a good, faithful waiter. Yeah, you, you've um, there, there's a lot there's a lot in that question. Um, maybe my my tombstone, my children uh, will put on my tombstone. Though he aspired to meekness, he never attained it. Hmm. And um, or maybe my wife would say, though he spoke much of meekness. He didn't live it out very well. So um, my new definition, my Psalm 37 definition of meekness is fa a faithful waiter, one who waits faithfully, which is to say there's an activity about him or her that is concentrated on the will of God and the pleasures of God the delights of God, the good things of God, in spite of all the other options on the menu we did take out last night. And the, the menu for this place that we went to was a Mediterranean restaurant. I mean, it was like, it just went on and on. And I didn't recognize half the things there. Like, we could do takeout at this place for the next six months and probably get something new every single night. So there's a lot to offer us in the world. But the, the righteous, the poor, the meek, 
the humble. These are all somewhat synonyms, the blameless in Psalm 37. Um, God's elect people focus themselves and prioritize the will of God over all of those other things. And um, they do so gladly because they know that the outcome of their efforts will be far and away greater than anything else that they could have uh, chosen in, in its place or instead. And that's what verse 11 says. You know, they will delight themselves in abundant prosperity. You know, there's a prosperity gospel that doesn't preach very well. So a, a meek a meek man or woman in verse 3 trusts in Jehovah, does good, dwells in the land, and befriends faithfulness. And um, anything that would compete with those kind of three or four priorities would be seen as um, not just distracting, but, but even a treasonous. Hmm. The word that comes to mind of what you're describing is purposeful, intentional. Okay, so let's talk about purpose in this psalm. didn't come out expressly in the message, but if you look at uh, the end of the psalm, we talk about the end. Um, 37, mark the blameless and behold the upright. There is a future or an end for the man of peace. On the other hand, verse 38, transgressors will be destroyed altogether. Their end, their future, will be cut off. Hmm. So that future focus, really, we have in 37 and 38 an explicit statement that we are to be, you know, laser-focused on our, on our future. Um, technically speaking, we're, we're to be eschatologically formed. The end, the eschaton, should inform our present. Uh, so we are, we are telic beings. We are moving towards consummation. And meekness recognizes that the momentary afflictions and setbacks that we experience on a day-to-day basis whether it's a spouse saying something that was unexpected and not appreciated or, uh, you know, results in a project at work or a grade on a test, whatever it may be, friendship, a text you receive, you know, a development, we're just not going to be, we're not going to be thrown off by that. Um, We're going to smile at the future and inhabit the present with confidence because we know who we are, who God is, and where he's taking us in the world and what we're supposed to do in the meantime. You know, sitting here in your study with you, talking about it, very, like, I'm encouraged, and I go, yes, yeah. I'm ready. Yeah, and then as soon too. as my foot hits the, hits the front step on the way yeah. out this morning, I'm like, yeah. oh, no, what, what, what have I done? How do I do this? You know, it just seems... Um, to talk about it, to hear God speak through you, the preached word about it. I get energized. I go, yes, I'm 100% on board, 150% on board. I'm going to do it. Yeah. And then I find myself yelling at my wife, yelling at my kids this morning, even before, you know. Yeah. And it will happen later today. I mean, I pray that it doesn't. But We won't be recording that part of the podcast in your house or mine, thankfully. Yeah. But um, the psalm gives us some guidance here, Tim. And I know the, I know the frustration. I'm sure our listeners can, can appreciate the, uh, the frustration as well. And both of our spouses, were they to listen to this, mine's going to be too busy to listen to it. But, uh, and that's a good thing. Um, but you know, they, they, they might feel frustrated as well. Those guys sound really sharp you know, and smart. Um, but look at the wisdom that Psalm 37 gives us along these lines. Verse 30 and 31. Read, read those verses, Tim. 
The mouth of the righteous utters wisdom, and his tongue speaks justice. The law of his God is in his heart. His steps do not slip. So um, I was walking the dog this morning, and um, I, like to, I like to do that, you know, get, out, get outside and breathe the fresh air, especially since I've been congested. And this was going through my mind as, uh, the, speaking of reading through the Bible, it isn't, you know, the need isn't to kind of just check off a list of reading through the Bible. It's to let Scripture and the Holy Spirit in the Word of God control my heart in such a way that my mouth and my tongue, what comes out in my life, is informed by that. And that involves making some specific decisions about my day, really, and my goals, my career goals, my family goals, vacation goals. You know, does Disney make the cut? Does does a big Thanksgiving dinner with 17 people, is that going to be on the list? Or does that move me off my penny and make me turn from meek to monster? Mm. But I'm doing a good thing, God. I'm I'm entertaining all these guests for Thanksgiving. Well, no. You're you're being Jesus, and that role is already filled. You, you, You are not the sinless one. You do not have limitless energy and an endless capacity. Well, we've done it every year, and my mother-in-law expects me to, you know? Well, okay, now we're really talking, aren't we? Because now we're getting down to whether you're envying, competing, verse 1 is the way I put it in the message. Mm-hmm. Do not fret, do not compete. Don't look, I said, I think on Sunday I said, don't peer over the picket fence at how your neighbor's doing and try to copy him. Um, Listen to the Lord. You know, do what God's telling you to do. What is your ability? Uh, in, a, in a heated discussion with your friend or your spouse, um, are you trying to please that person? Or are you just trying to say what you can say? So, yeah, I, I, think, I, think, I think we need more scripture, Tim. You know, the hitting the threshold of the door on our way out. Um, you know, it, it works the other way to look at it is once you get in the car with your kids on the way home from church. So, yeah, I think um, I think we need more s- scripture, spirit-informed scriptural living. And so that's why I encouraged in my application, I said, we need to sing this psalm to one another. Mm-hmm. You also said we need to make decisions. Yeah. I appreciated that. Yeah. Um, a, a, a pet peeve of mine. Elaborate that a little bit. Yeah, That'd so, helpful. so um, I don't remember, to be honest with you, I don't remember the context, the exact point you were making. It just, you just saying the words like, you know, we, we have decisions to make all the time, you know, and we can choose to do good, we can choose to do evil, we can choose to be patient, we can choose to be impatient. I'm not, these aren't the words that you used, but this is what was going through my head. And um, I get frustrated, to be honest, because I, I am impatient. And so I get frustrated when I hear other people say, um, you know, I just pray that, pray that God would make me more of that kind of person. Or pray that God would help me in this struggle. Mm-hmm. Well, absolutely, we should be praying that God would continue to grant us his grace and work through the Holy Spirit to continue to sanctify us. We know he will do that for his His chosen people. But that doesn't absolve you from making the hard decisions in the moment to not be angry, you know, or to, to not sin or to, you know, to, to um, make a good decision as opposed to a bad decision. Mm-hmm. And it could be a simple thing as, you know, did I... Did I pick up my phone and go on Facebook or did I pick up my Bible that's sitting next to my phone and read right. Psalm 37? Like, right. that's a simple decision. I'm not saying that right. the phone is evil or that no. Facebook is evil, but that's a decision that I make. I get to, ch- I get to make that decision. Right. So, um, 
this idea of kind of going back to the, the faithfully waiting is an active thing. We don't just sit and let life come at us and pray that God is so going to miraculously. The befriending faithfulness idea is really strong there, isn't it? You know, hmm. faithfulness is my companion. And it's the sheep that I need to shepherd through life's hills and valleys. Hmm. And not let it out of my sight. Yeah, I think of, um, this has been in my head because we, at Presbytery, we heard um, a sermon on James 2, and we just went through James recently. So the wisdom that's from above. Oh, that's 3, James 3. I'm sorry, James 3, yeah. So, um, it's, it's, uh, pure, peaceable, gentle, open the reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. Mm -hmm. Um, those are all things that I struggle struggle with, you know. It's like, man, I that I want to be a man marked by those as opposed things. to uh, thirteen through fifteen, right? The earthly wisdom, the earthly wisdom, that. which is if you have bitter jealousy or selfish ambition in your hearts, um, earthly is unspiritual and demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. That is the fretting that is forbidden in Psalm thirty-seven, verse one and seven. Hmm. Yeah, um, Psalm 37, verse 7 is worth reading in that context. So you just read James 3, 14, 15, 16. Here's uh, Psalm 37, verse 7. Um, Be silent before Jehovah and wait for him. Do not be anxious. And the gloss that I provided there is don't compete. (laughs) Don't vie. You know, vie for... um, don't you know? Get in the scrum. Uh, a rugby scrum is a big pile of dudes just basically hurting one another and going for the football mm-hmm. or whatever they call it. Mm-hmm. Is it a football? What do they call it rugby, rugby ball? ball? <laughs> rugby ball. <laughs> so football. someone can uh, come and let us know how how we butchered that. Yeah, but, yeah. We'll call it a rugby ball. That sounds good. Do not compete with. Do not compete about. Do not compete over the one who prospers in his way. Over the man, don't compete with the man who plans evil schemes. This scheme idea shows up negatively in Psalm 37 three or four times. And I thought of it as an artist who's, uh, you know, en plein air, is outside with the canvas, with the landscape, and they're doing their, their fingers like this, kind of, or the thumb, you know, for proportionality. They're scheming. They're taking a look at the environment, using the thumb, and they're trying to translate what they see with their eye to the canvas with paints or pencil or whatever. A photographer does the same thing, composing the frame of the picture. The wicked is scheming to capture what he or she sees, and the canvas is our life. And David says, don't compete with that. Stop trying to copycat all these people around you in that way. Mm. And then verse 8. Release all your anger and forsake your wrath. The word for release is to literally... Um, um, to leave it alone. It's like whatever drop the mic means but nothing in terms of like the context, but that sort of total, definitive, it's an end. Hmm. Um, So you're releasing your anger, but look at verse 5, but you're committing your way to the Lord, your way, your life, your plans, your schemes. Um, To commit means to roll your burden, to roll it over onto God's shoulders. That's the kind of the um, I guess kind of a dramatic way to think about committing. Hmm. It's, it's to take this thing that you're trying to manage yourself and to fully entrust it to God rather than, again, looking at your neighbor, the wicked, the evil, the transgressor, the rebellious, the self, self-made man, and saying, that's what I want. Instead, Instead of scheming and plotting and taking your cues from that person, 
Give that over to God and focus on doing what God says, the simple, the simple things that God says. And that's where you're going to find your happiness. And that's not, and you know, your, your point, the Psalms point is that that happiness is not only a future happiness. Oh, no. It is a now happiness. It is. It is. I think you even made, made that point in, in your sermon, if I recall, that this isn't a, it, it's future thinking. There isn't, there isn't. Right. So eschatological, there's, con, you know, yeah. So theme there's here, but so in, in John chapter three, Jesus talks about salvation, bringing joy and uh, fulfillment now. And I think Christians need to be regularly reminded that salvation is good news, not just in the future, but today. I find that very difficult, though, mm. because. Uh, back to the menu idea, my tastes have been uh, acclimated to the kind of, what do they say, the instant gratification way of life and not the befriending faithfulness way of life. Yeah. And um, just to be real practical in terms of Thanksgiving, we're going to have a lot of people in our house this week and um, I, I'll be, I guess I'm going on record as saying I'm determined to befriend faithfulness, you know, all through this Thanksgiving week with all the many people that whose paths I want to cross, and um, you know, may God help me li live out Psalm 37 this week. Mm -hmm. I, th I think there's there's an aspect here, Phil, and we've talked about this in previous weeks and at some of the other psalms that you've preached on where um, being righteous, seeking refuge in the Lord, these asherisms that we've talked about, you know, the good, the good life, living the good life, that's not just a catchy way of you saying, you know, you didn't come up with this for, for marketing purposes. This is God saying, this is how I created the universe to work. My creation works this way. So you will be blessed if you live this way. Right. And it's not just the future blessing like we're talking about, but it's the now blessing. And right. some that doesn't mean it's <clears throat> gratification. That doesn't mean that you're always going to have things go well. We also know that there is suffering in this life, obviously, and to expect it. But... What are, what are some of the concrete blessings of Psalm 37, the now blessings that David highlights? There's, there are actually two or three that stand out that might be worth mentioning. An obvious one that jumps off the page to me is verse 25. I have been young and now am old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread. This is a bit of a personal testimony for David. And he's drawing on his experience. And how would you paraphrase that in, in just in Tim speak? Um... I would say, uh, I mean, th this is a God provides for his people. Right. You know. So are there ever, have you ever met a beggar who professes to be a Christian? I, have, I mean, I have. Yeah. So I guess I am young and now I'm old and I met lots of beggars who claim to be Christians. So is that a contradiction to Psalm 37 verse 25? How would you reconcile? Like what's the scope of the promise there for present prosperity or present provision? We were talking about the good life has implications for now and not just for the mm -hmm. future. How do you interpret verse 25? Are the beggars that I've met just sinning? You know, a, a lot of, a lot of street people, a lot of 
Uh, I'm told a lot of people who, who are panhandling have mental illness, have addiction issues. Do we chalk it up to that? I'm, I'm kind of yeah. intentionally uh, creating a, a quandary for you here. I'm not trying to put you on the spot, but this is the, the tension, I guess, yeah. in the now aspect of the blessing is we can usually, if, we're, if we look hard enough, we can usually find exceptions to the rule. So um, this has the, the feel of a general truism. Maybe not that there's no exceptions whatsoever. Right. Uh, but let's let's walk this through. A girl is on the street begging. She claims to be a Christian. She grew up in a Christian home. She doesn't go to church, but you know, she experienced trauma in her Christian home. She had to run away, um, or she felt she had to run away. Um, I'm not going to fault her for that. In this in this. Parable. This is a little illustration. I can mention. I can imagine someone who struggles with same-sex attraction, an LGBTQ type person, um, dealing with growing up in a in a religious home, a Christian home, but maybe uh, maybe Roman Catholic, maybe rigid legalistic fundamentalist, right? Something like this. Mm -hmm. Maybe a Mormon household where there was a lot of sort of shame and judgment around that. Not that we think that that sort of lifestyle is okay, but there's a way to address it uh, that's maybe life-giving in a way that's not. And the crisis that a very strict, judgmental approach to a, a kid in his teens or her teens, the, the fractures in the heart and the soul, the life that that creates, driving them to the street couch hopping for a year on the, on, in the homes of their friends and that guy finds himself begging for bread so I'm just creating two kind of off the cuff maybe contemporary illustrations of where we could imagine a Christian begging for bread which could explain perhaps how it's an exception to this general truism um, it's his seed it's his, it's his sons, his children begging for bread. Well, that mom and dad weren't living according to Psalm 37. So um, they have some soul searching to do. Now, I created a, a, a scenario where, you know, I get to be right at the end of the story. Real life is never that tidy, Tim. But what do you think about how I'm framing this? Yeah, I mean, I, I would say that that verse says, I've not seen the righteous forsaken or his children. So the forsaken part, that has not, that's not on us at all. That's God. That's God forsaking. Right. So regardless of the circumstances, the begging or the, you know, we don't choose whether God has, like he's saying that he, he's not forsaking his children. So there's a promise here that God's elect people will never be forsaken. That's something we can go to the bank with. Now the begging of bread is a circumstance of living in a fallen world where you may not have a job, you may get kicked out of your house, you may be living in the backseat of your car and have nowhere to go for food. But guess what? Salvation Army's down the road. The food pantry's up the street. Run by you know, godly people or big-hearted, you know, world-changing kind of people who want to address the homeless problem and, and take it on and tackle it. And so you got food for today. You didn't have to beg. So uh, we can also construe this, this scenario where we see God's daily provision. And even people I know, and I know some people who have... I've never had to live out of the backseat of my car and get evicted, you know, but people who know poverty have, have had to deal with those things. The, the testimony that they give, these Christian folks give, is they look back on those weeks, months, or years when they were homeless. Is God provided? Mm. So you can also look at begging for bread here as maybe a, a container which when you open it up, you mean 
Did he ever forsake me, even though I didn't know where my next meal was going to come from? Did he ultimately provide? Even if I went hungry one night, I didn't go hungry too. Mm. Maybe it's maybe it's that sort of thing. So there's some real direct to to get back to my original point. There's some real direct, specific promises for the present in Psalm 37 that I think we can really hang on to. Um, look at. Uh, um, this is one of my favorite ones. Um, where's the verse where he he will he will fall but not be cast headlong? Oh yeah. Um, there it is, 24, just before that. Read uh, 23 and 24. The steps of a man are established by the Lord when he delights in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be cast headlong, for the Lord upholds his hand. So how is that a present, a promise for the present, present prosperity? <coughs> Maybe how isn't it a promise for present promise? It's sort of an odd promise. Yeah. It's a... Um, it's a... It's a promise that... How do I word this? Um, I, I guess I would say you're never falling out of the reach of the Lord to use kind of some of the terms sure. for the actual sure. verse. Sure. But it is a promise that falling is in your future. Right. It doesn't say you will fall. It says even though you might fall. But it's very close to saying and you're going to fall. Yeah. Trust me. <laughs> yeah. <coughs> Excuse me. So it's an odd kind of prosperity, this biblical prosperity, when we read it. And people who have mined Psalm 37 for prosperity promises tend to skip this one. Hmm. Uh, falling is part of the reality of a prosperous life. You know, the invitation for the Asheritic life, the blessed life, is not a life free from all problems. But like a pacemaker, there's an extent to which God will not permit you to fall. You'll never fall out of his love. Hmm. And even if you have to beg for bread tonight, he'll give you breakfast in the morning. Uh, but don't take your eyes off the prize and resort to unrighteous means hmm. uh, as desperate as you might feel. This is not me critiquing, uh, or th you know, throwing stones, living in a glass house yeah. at people who are backs up against the wall and break God's law to get bread. And, you know, we could fill in the details with your imagination of what people have done to get their next meal. Um, but um, testimony after testimony that I've heard, and even in my own life, is those lawless means to accomplish my basic needs have never proven in the end to have been absolutely necessary. They seemed like it at the time. So, uh, again, we get back to befriending faithfulness and, and trusting in the Lord, dwelling in the land. Did, did you get my uh, point? Speaking of dwelling in the land, we, maybe we can finish with this concept. I talked a little bit about the land. And do you remember the, the image that I used in the beginning of the message? I said, living in the land is like living in a house that belongs to your father. He owns the title but it's managed by a wicked landlord who's constantly hassling you. Yeah. So live in that house, knowing that it's your house. <laughs> we don't look at it that way, I don't think. I don't, I don't think so. It's a poignant kind of 
metaphor or example, because it's true. I mean, that, that is the reality of, of, so of Psalm, our situation. Psalm 24, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness mm-hmm. thereof. Yeah. And the meek shall inherit the Eretz, the earth. And Jesus used, in, as you go from Hebrew to Greek in the New Testament, he makes it clear that we're talking about the earth, not just the land, which is fascinating in terms of explaining what David meant when he said land. Land of Israel is a placeholder for the entire planet. In fact, all creation belongs to God. It's interesting to add one more layer to, to, the, to the image is that that wicked landlord is because of, of us. That's true. We, we brought him on our, we invited him in. Yeah. And then we, we want to complain about him. Or... <clears throat> right. Getting back to being meek. So a, a meek person recognizes that I'm complicit in this arrangement and I'm going to live as a repentant God-centered human being in light of my transgression, which I own 100%. So I'm poor in spirit, getting back to the Beatitudes. I know that I've brought the situation on myself. Um, I'm mourning for my sin. I don't walk around with a frown. That's not what the, the, the invitation isn't to be a frowning human being. The invitation is to be, to recognize the implications of my sin and not to you know, eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die. Not live like an Epicurean, but live like a... Live realistically. I guess it's, a, it's an appeal to realism. Um, confront life's difficulties as you mourn. Confront life's difficulties realistically, knowing that they are a result of sin. They will not always remain that way. But until then, you need to be serious about your efforts to carve out the life that God is calling you to. And that's the life of a meek person. Hmm. The Bible just screams this over and over and over again. Like it really does. My head's going through the Old Testament in particular and I'm uh-huh. thinking of Job. I'm right. thinking of Habakkuk. Right. I'm thinking of just take the nation of Israel and Egypt. You know, you just see this over and over and over again about being meek, waiting on the Lord, doesn't mean sit there and do nothing, but you don't know what's coming. God is not right. going to forsake you, right. you know. And sometimes God is gracious and he goes, guess what? Right. It's going to get worse, but right. I'm still not going to forsake you. Right. You know, like Habakkuk. <clears throat> I couldn't get into it in the message and we're out of time yeah. here, so I can't get into it here. But I'm going to dangle a little uh, assignment if somebody wants to dig deeper this idea of a, of a landlord. Go to Genesis, I think it's Genesis 24, when Abraham is haggling and bartering with the people in his country. Mm-hmm. He's in Israel before it's called Israel, because of course Jacob is the great grandson of, uh, or the grandson of, of Abraham. And his wife Sarah dies. God has promised him the land, but what does he have to do? He has to buy, he has to negotiate, as I said, haggle and negotiate over a small plot of ground in order to bury his wife, Sarah. That's what we're talking about. And they want to give it to him. Mm-hmm. And he says, no, I'm going to pay for it. Yep. And he says, no, 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 you, you can have it. And he says, no, I insist. And they say, well, since you insist... Most people in this situation give between this range and this range. It's a great story. Yeah. It's the story of a pilgrim. It's the story of a meek man who's determined to glorify God and to keep his eye on the future, his future inheritance, but live now uh, in light of the fact that he's surrounded by sinners and he himself is a sinner who is only justified by faith. I feel like we've talked about a whole lot and not so much at the same time. I feel that way <laughs> every week. But hopefully um, 
I mean, I, I, I kind of alluded to this earlier. I always walk out of here feeling so encouraged. Amen. I feel the same way today. Yeah, me too. And um, I love to give you the credit for that, but I think it's really the Word of God. It is the Word of God. and um, um, I, I like to remind people that while I may have a knack for explaining it, I am at the back of the line in terms of living it and uh, just getting started. Um, you know, I'm in kindergarten, so um, I need the body of Christ, and, and as do you, helping us to model the very things that we're learning together. And so, um, right now I'm focused on Thanksgiving week, so let's see how <laughs> I do with that. Yeah. Well, we'll both endeavor to be faithful in our waiting this week. Amen. And what was it? Befriending. Befriending faithfulness. faithfulness. Befriending faithfulness. Yeah. Yeah, it's a good thing to certainly be thinking about this week with all the interactions that will be at. Um, thankful for this time with you again, Phil. I look forward to next week, post-Thanksgiving. I don't know what's on, on deck Psalm, for next week. Psalm 40. Psalm 40, okay. Yeah. Um, so we'll bring that to you next week. As always, if you're interested in joining us for this conversation, we'd welcome we'd welcome you. Yeah, we had a nice crowd last week. Uh, nobody joined us this week, although my mom did. I, I invited my mom. She might join us for a future podcast. Wonderful. I'd like to get a little um, kind of schedule set up. That'd be so nice. People can pop in when when they're free, yeah. or maybe plan in advance. I know in a few weeks, I'm gonna I'm gonna put this out here now to kind of maybe guilt him into it a little bit, but we'll have um, John preaching um, in a few weeks, and yeah. I would love for John, if you're listening, to plan to join us so you could talk to us about there you go. your sermon yeah. after you preached it. But, um, you know, regardless, we'll continue to get together and, and talk about what God is telling us and teaching us and doing in our lives. And... Um, you know, just thankful for the opportunity to do that. And hopefully that those who have been listening have been blessed by this conversation. I know I certainly have been. Agreed. That's all for today. We'll see you again next week on the Deeper Cut podcast. <laughs>